What's up, Catching Up With Cub listeners? We are on a mission to make this podcast Australia's number one entrepreneurial podcast. And if you enjoy listening, you can help us do so by rating us five stars and leaving us a review. Your reviews will help other listeners find our show and it lets me know what you want to hear more of. I'm so incredibly grateful for your support. Now let's get to the show. Hello, Ledgers. Welcome to today's show. Catching Up With Cub is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today I catch up with Cub member Greg Norman, the CEO of Forecast Australia, a data analytics company that helps businesses capture, organize and analyze their data to help us all make smarter decisions that create commercial value. Forecast has 50 data professionals across offices in Australia, UK, and Poland. Greg and I discuss the current and very competitive employment market and how we're both navigating that. How to use data to identify if a customer is unhappy, allowing you to fix the problem and how to use data to make the best decisions possible for your business. Greg is an expert on data and decision-making. This was a really eye-opening conversation for me that made me want to review all the data Cubs collecting. I'm sure it's going to have the same impact on you. Enjoy the show. Everybody is talking about is it data or data? Are you American? Data. Yeah. Yeah, which one's American? Let's let's call it data. Data, yeah. Yeah. data is American. It's very it? American. Um, data is, I mean, when you're raising capital, when you're talking about valuations and your company and, and in all aspects, people are saying data is the most important thing and it's something that not everyone uses. I know at Cub we certainly don't use it enough and we could produce a huge amount of data uh, on the members, on how they use the club, on what they're looking for which I've actually spoken to you about before, which is kind of the origin of this podcast, I guess. Um, Greg, do you want to maybe share exactly, you know, how companies can use data and how that can benefit them or what you guys, what you guys actually help people with? Yeah. And it's, as you'd imagine, it could be a very long answer. Uh, but I think one thing I'd say is that, yeah, data has always been a part of business, whether it's looking at your financial records for the last last five years or so and saying, right, well, what, what's happened and why did it happen? Or looking at your CRM system and saying, right, who, who are my yeah, hot leads and, and uh, where are my next leads coming from? Uh, it might be in your operations areas to say, right, well, I, I need to set a roster for, for, my, um, for my staff and my yeah, 10 stores or whatever. Who should I have on at what time? And can I use the past to predict what's going to happen in the future and, and then and then allow me to run my business better. So I think in that regard, data has always been part of business. What's changed in my mind in the last five years, five to ten years, is that data's become a lot more accessible. You've got uh, some pretty big players out there like Amazon and, and Microsoft and Google who have, I'm going to say, democratized data. So you don't need to spend a million dollars on a server and uh, and a whole bunch of yeah, developing tools and all the rest of it because they've gone in and they've said, right, well, we, you can, with a very quick setup, uh, you can uh, effectively uh, collate and store your data, get it into a form that you can use it, and then we also provide the tools to help analyze and, uh, and, and yeah, distribute that information. So I think that's been the big change. What used to be the realm of your large corporates has uh, now been anyone can do it. And, and the costs in terms of getting your cloud storage and everything uh, have been reduced to such a low level. So really what you, what you said was data is it, it's across all aspects of your business. It doesn't matter be where your customer retention, sales, marketing, finance. I mean, data is data. But what, I think one of the key things you said was that data is used – to look at the past and therefore, and then predict the future, and and using that data, you're able to better predict your future and actually um, determine the outcome that you want. Yeah, and and change the outcome when you get very good at it as well. So I like to think that the concept of time travel. One of the challenges with time travel was an ethical dilemma. If you had the chance to go into the past or the future and change something that that impacted you or those around you, is that uh, an ethical challenge or not? What we're allowing with data is to say, right, well, we can help predict what's going to happen next week, next month, next year, 10 years from now. 
And if you did nothing else, we'd just be able to help predict what's going to happen. But we'd also say, be able to say, this is the reason things are happening. Therefore, here's some levers that you can pull to get to a better outcome. So if you were, I don't know, let, let's say you were a, a, a pizza chain and you wanted to know uh, next month how many types of pizza am I going to am I going to uh, sell across my 200 outlets, and therefore what should I be ordering? So how much flour, how many toppings, etc., uh, to to meet that demand, and how many staff should I have on board? First of all, we'd be able to say right, give us the last three, four, five years of of uh, data of sales, and we'll come through and we'll say right, based on that. If nothing else changed, then this is what's likely to happen day of the week, time of the day, um, month of the year, et cetera. But we'll also say there was a few anomalies in the data in the past. What were they? Oh, you had a big campaign or you had a new uh, product launch or you uh, you bought 10 new stores and, and they came in. So let's normalize that and then look forward and say, right, what management activities are you going to take to boost sales or whatever it is going forward? And that's where you get the levers coming in. And that's where, as I say, you if, if I could tell you go forward one month and give you the results for that month before it's actually happened, then how would you run your business differently uh, as a result? And so that's what you guys do. You give people the ability to time travel. So it is time travel. It's yeah. database time <laughs> travel. Cool. Yeah. And 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 so the company's called Forecast Australia. Um and, and you've been involved in Forecast. So you set up the Australian arm of the business. Um, in 2016, mm-hmm. and and the business was founded. Was it in Singapore in 2010? Yeah, it was. It was Singapore, but very quickly moved to the UK. So uh, my uh, quite a cool story. My now business partner, uh, guy Neil McDonald, uh, who who's based in Edinburgh now, was based in Singapore at the time, as as was I, and we had a a Chinese New Year celebration at our house one year, and. I don't know if you know the concept of tossing the salad for prosperity and good luck. And we went nuts on that and and there was salad all around the room by the end of the night. Uh, So there's a lot of prosperity and luck. And later that evening, UK time, he got the call from uh, Royal Bank of Scotland uh, to say that his big contract had come through that really kick-started the business. So he, yeah, jumped, jumped on a flight over there and that was his hometown. That's where his connections were. So that's where he built the the business from. Uh, so the origins were in Singapore, but rarely have we say that it's a UK based. Uh, and so based when business. he said, kind of, "Hey, I want to launch in Australia," you took the op- you went to business with him and, and set up shop here, and and off you went. Yeah, yeah. So we had been. I'd been a client uh, when I was in Singapore, and it was a that was a pretty cool project as well. It was a global supply chain project. So we flew around the world and probably spent about three or four months together building a model, but importantly, yeah, working out how what makes makes business tick to be able to build that model to then, yeah, optimise uh, supply of a, of a key ingredient for the company that I was working for. So we got to know each other very well and and we stayed in contact even, yeah, uh, after he'd he'd moved back to, the, to Scotland. I went to his wedding, et cetera, and then he'd picked up uh, Macquarie Bank here in uh, in Australia as a as a client, and obviously we thought, right, well, let's let's use that as the as the catalyst to platform. kick off, yeah, as a platform. Yeah. And and what about you? Where are you from? You're not from Australia, are you? No, no, I'm a Kiwi. Get uh, out now. <laughs> always will be, always will be. But no, look, uh, Australia has been home for uh, over twenty years. Uh, a bit of a stint in Singapore. Uh, for a while there, but um, yeah, this is uh, Sydney's home now. But I'm still still all black uh, fan through and through. So. And so, when you were a little kid, were you like, "God, oh, I can't wait to get into data"? Or <laughs> what was your what like what what, le- what was your career that led to, to to I guess owning a data business? So yeah, it's a, that that is a good question. Uh, as a kid, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I picked up a well, I guess it was originally an after school job at a local accounting firm. Uh, which turned out to be yeah KPMG, so big, bigger than just local. But uh, that then led into uh, like a scholarship. They they uh, paid for university on the way through. So all of a sudden, I was an accountant through through chance more than for design. Free, free education. Free, free education. I'll take anything. that. Yeah. <laughs> I always kind of wish that I had taken up engineering or something along those lines, particularly. Yeah, kind of electrical uh, type fields, and and that's probably where the data uh, has has come back. But obviously, went down that that accounting and and finance route, and learnt pretty quickly. I didn't want to be yeah a desk bound accountant. I I wanted to get out there and and work with the people who were creating value uh, and and help to create value. So my finance was was more of yeah what 
typically you'd call management accounting or analytical accounting. So it was very much forward looking. Uh, I think that's my personality. I, I look forward rather than uh, dwell too much on the past. Um, and and so yeah, sort of stayed a couple of years in that uh, kind of professional accounting realm, and then and then moved into in house roles. But it's interesting. So your brain is obviously wired very much towards uh, mathematics analytics, uh, even like engineering and all that type of stuff. Did, did you always feel that that was your kind of gift, that that was what you were good at? Like, I think I'd, I'd have to be careful calling it a gift because I'm not particularly good at mathematics or mm. stats. There's a limit. I, I think I'm pretty pretty good at logic and seeing and providing clarity in situations, but I'm not a pure math- mathematician. Most of my team are. They, they, they would, yeah. Uh, smash me in any maths-related exam or anything like that. Uh, so I kind of I can see what needs to be done. I'm, I'm not necessarily a, a mathematician myself, but um, yeah, that's uh, I know where my limitations are. And and your team, you, you mentioned I've actually been to your office. Are you still at the same place in in uh, on the water there? What, what, what where was that? I don't yeah, even know where so I was. I, when I went. Uh, over in, in Paramount on one of the old wharves there. We've we've moved, but to the same place, same 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 spot. So. Um, yeah, other, look, other side of the other wharf. side of the wharf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a magic magic spot. I think particularly important coming out of COVID to uh, have a, an office environment that is, yeah, relaxed and open, but also a nice place to be. And that's definitely ticks the box on the nice place I to agree. be. How big's yeah. the team now? So here in Australia, we've got about twelve at the moment, and and growing pretty quickly. Um, we've had the last couple of years, we haven't really grown too much here in Australia. But uh, things have kicked into gear pretty quickly in the last uh, six to eight weeks. So, yeah, we've got about eight new roles uh, that currently we're live. For. Yeah. See, that's the problem in today's market, though. Like, we just, we just, well, actually, this year so far, we've hired four people. We've just hired another two, and it's everyone's doing the same thing. It, and apparently, unemployment's at its absolute lowest. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I think that's, I that's, what, that the, that's what the stats are saying. Yeah. And, and, and look, everyone's hiring. So yeah, Everyone's hiring. Everyone wants the same top talent and that is mm. uh, that is causing, yeah, a lot of issues. I think the the, the Cub core group yeah, from last week and did a yeah, run around the room and decided, right, well, let's not talk about recruitment and staffing because that's universal. Let's let's pick something mm. else that, you've, that that's an issue that, that's on your mind. It is universal. Uh, it oh, really so is. everyone in, the, in your core group was saying, hey, we're, we're recruiting and it's Recruiting hard. and staffing and, and reta- both retaining and then uh, attracting. It's, it's, a, it's definitely an employee's market right now. I think, yeah, as, as the border opens and, and the visas start getting issued again and you start bringing in that wave, new waves of, uh, of talent, think about it as well. A lot of the young talent in Australia are, are university graduates. They're, they're you know, um, foreign students who have studied here. They get their two years uh, work visa at the end of it. And that is a hu- huge pool of talent uh, for the Australian market. That That's just disappeared in the last two years as well. So It is scary though because I like, guess the business owner, you just survived two years of like fighting to pay for staff in, in some cases. Obviously some businesses did well, but there's a lot of businesses that were fighting just to keep staff and to, you know, they were sacrificing the business's growth or whatever it may be to keep people there. And then bang, you come into year three of COVID and all of a sudden, oh, now you're fighting to keep your staff because they might want to leave to get a thing or they, they might want more wages or it's now it's a staff market. So it's an employee market, sorry. So so it's hard. It, it's like as the business owner, you just see in this constant state of like of problem solving, you know, problem one. Okay, how do we handle COVID? How do we make sure we have money so that we can pay staff? Then next problem. Okay, now the market's too good for staff. They all want to go and rebase themselves or find new jobs or, or, you know, maybe they've had an epiphany through COVID. They want to change their lives and do something else. How do we not only keep the staff we have and solve those problems? And now it's like, how do we attract the best staff and how do we get them to choose us as opposed to another company who might do the same thing? Do you know what I mean? It's 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 a really tough market for business owners. It is, yeah. I think, I mean, like in business, there's always things to worry about. And I think my, my approach is recognise that there's, there's various aspects of business you have to make sure you get right and put the effort in, but don't lose sleep over it um, because otherwise, yeah, you'll send yourself in a spiral. So I, I think in terms of the, the, the talent side of the business, First of all, it's natural that people will, will leave the business. I think if, you, if you're concerned about that, then, again, you're going to be uh, sort of focusing on the wrong things. We've, we've had really good people that have left 
the business both here in Australia and in the UK in the last yeah six or twelve months that that might otherwise have left yeah in normal times a bit earlier and so that, and and it it's always yeah it hurts when good people leave but if you turn the 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 table around and that first of all I'm really happy that they're going to yeah they're taking a big step up and they've found an amazing uh, role to go to but also yeah in a in a service provider like we are that's just a new lead into a new organisation and we we keep a, a pretty tight alumni uh, of staff we had a we had the comment we had just before christmas a, a like an office party for clients and and current staff and previous staff who were there and and so many comments saying i've just yeah it's so good that you stay in contact with with your prior prior employees and i said well of course i would they're the best ambassadors for our brand that are out there they know exactly what we do how we do it uh, and they're now yeah if they've gone to a, a corporate or an in-house, then they're an advocate for you. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. And 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 I think what you said is is really eye-opening as well. Which is, well, as a business owner, you have to remember that people move on. Like you know, it, it's not like the old world where people would stay in their job fifty years. Yeah. Now four years is a big deal. Four years you know? is a long yeah, time. Yeah. You know when yeah. you're looking through people's CVs and you're like. One year, now nah, I'm not going to, like, you know, they've got the people that 18 and 19, 19, 20, 20, 21, they're all these different jobs. I don't even meet with them, mm-hmm. even if they've got great excuses. That, nah. But then when you say someone has, okay, you know, three and a half years, six years, four years, like that seems to be the sweet spot for me where it's like, okay, I, I, I yeah, that I want to meet that person. You know, it, it seems like to be enough time for, for a meeting. But, but to your point, people do move on and, and businesses have to be aware of that. Uh, and and I like to say, like, when I'm working with the leadership team at Cub, I just always tell them, look, you need to plan, as the business owner, you need to plan in advance for that. You need to be aware of, oh, is something happening with this person and who do you have to bring in at this point to make sure that they know how to do that role if need be for this. And you know, it, you've got to make sure your chess pieces are in the right positions and you're in a defensible position no matter what. Yeah, and I think... One of the other things when people do move on, it gives you a chance if you're just doing a straight, you know, one-for-one replacement to bring new new energy and ideas to the team. And it also gives a chance for the other team members to, yeah, to step up. Um, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's the, that's the na- nature of business, isn't it? Uh, that, yeah, some people will rise and, and some move on and, and just yeah, keep the machine uh, moving through. So, yeah, we're, yeah, we're very focused on yeah, developing our team and, and ensuring that they are, you know, ready for promotion and all the rest of it, which really, in, in my mind, means that they're doing a fantastic job. Yeah, so. I read in your uh, prep sheet that you guys do, I can't remember what you called it, but you do some sort of personal development program for your for your team members or something. What, 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 what was that? Yeah, so that's something we went through a couple of years ago. We, we um, brought in a, an external uh, HR advisor and it, look, it was it was it was brilliant. It, it kind of a, a bit of a game changer. Put process. I'm a process person, so it put a process to to the personal process. Development. Yeah, to personal development. And uh, there's a couple of things in there that were a little bit tough at the time. One of them uh, was that yeah, she wanted to get to know the business and and the the team and all the rest of it. And uh, so we had a, a couple of workshops and she said, all right, the third one, you're not allowed to be there. And I said, oh, well, what am I supposed to be doing? And she said, oh, well, I don't know, just go for a walk for a couple of hours or like chill out, but you're specifically not not going to be there. And it was the, yeah, it was one of the hardest things uh, to, to be letting go and, and letting the team rise up and so that I'm not the, yeah, they're not worried about what they say and, and all the rest of it. It was that, that for me personally, that was a big yeah kind of development moment. But then yeah, coming out of that is that yeah, each we've got a few different kind of core roles within the business depending on skill sets, and so each core role has a has a success profile, and then each person works from that and says right, well here's my quarterly plan, here's my thirty day plan, and then. Uh, on a daily basis, we just kind of keep up with you know, are there any roadblocks or anything. So, what, it do you mean, what do you mean by success profile, and what do you mean by quarterly plan? Is it a quarterly plan to do with their targets for the company, or is it a quarterly plan to do with making themselves stronger in whatever their success profile yeah, is supposed to be it's, for the role? It really, is both. It's uh, to say, right, well, what's the business aiming to to achieve? And a big part of that is, you know, uh, bringing on new clients and finding really interesting projects and, and then delivering uh, on those projects, making sure you're building relationships, et cetera. 
so some of it is is business related, and then some of it very much is personal. So whether it's the next you know, quarter or next year or the next two years, what are you wanting to do? It might be external study. It might be I want some projects in this industry. I want I want to. I might be a finance analyst, but I want to start getting some data analytics and and yeah, learning Python and all the rest of it. So it's finding opportunities either within the job or external where you're developing the team as well as uh, making sure that that's leading towards the business targets as well. Mm. well one, uh, um, I've got a mentor. He's actually a cup. You, have you ever met Adrian Hondros? No. He's a cub member. He's been a member for about seven years. He's always been a mentor of mine. He's one of the kind of the best CEO, most experienced CEOs and, and, and kind of leaders that I know. And he said to me once, uh, when you run it, it was like for my, in uh, regards to my quarterly meeting and, and the plan and the document for the team, he said, hey, you're missing something really, really important. And I had a sick plan. Like I was pretty proud of it. And and we, we have quite a good template for our quarterly um, uh, our quarterly document, our, our quarterly report. And But anyway, he ripped it to shreds. He said, hey, you're missing the most important thing. It needs to say on this specifically, what does winning look like this quarter? And it needs to say it like that. Your team need to look at it and read this whenever you're going through it. And understand that is what winning looks like specifically and detailed. It's what it looks like as a whole. It's what it looks like per team. And per team, this is what it looks like per member. And if everybody understands what winning looks like, then winning becomes possible. And that was something that that uh, now we actually have a page called What Does Winning Look Like <laughs> in the Next Quarter? And these are our forecasts and this is what we're going for and blah, blah, blah. But, but I always found that that was a really good um, – because then like kind of similar to what you're saying, each team member and each team is then able to say, this is what winning looks like. Yeah. This is our community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First of all, that's, that's, that's good advice and something uh, I'll take on myself. But I, I was at a, a retreat for a client last week. Uh, they're going through – a big change, a very, very, very positive change, uh, but it means they've got some really not they're achievable but tough uh, targets, and they're they're a property development company, and so within the the team, there's maybe twenty of them, and it was a combination of business development and uh, sort of the early stage property development, and then the construction, and then kind of the sales, and so these these teams that they knew they were part of a collaborative uh, team and and all the rest of it. But all of a sudden having some real targets around, right, here's, here's completions for next the next two years and here's sales for the next two years. Oh, if we're going to do that, then we need to have started thinking about this already. And it was just such a high energy environment. And a big part of it was putting real targets in front of them. And, and there was a catalyst to get to that point, but it was, it was just a reminder of how yeah, how important targets are and, and making real tangible targets. Yeah, because they also if real targets give people a real target. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? that's like it. Yeah, the t- and and with a high energy team, like the Cub team, for example, bunch of maniacs. If, in our quarterly meetings, the energy's through the roof. People, we, we, we're thinking we're going to conquer the world, but the energy's high. And sometimes, well, having a target. What I like about it is that people can be claiming. You know, no, we can get way more than that. Like that, you know, we can do this and this and this is going to happen. And, and that's all well and good. But you can also say, guys, that's fantastic. If we achieve that, that's great. But so long as we achieve this, mm-hmm. then that we're still, we're still going to be proud and we're still going to be happy. So it kind of gives like a, hey, that's the minimum. Yeah. Let's shoot for the star. My, my old man always used to say, shoot for the stars. If you miss, you end up hitting the moon. You're still fucking off the earth. You're still, you're still in a different floating thing than everyone else. So. So, and I like that, that the, the targets give people something real to rally around. Um, and, and, and so um, let's get to data and, and how people should be using it. Because actually, like I said, we sat down at a Cub Social on a Friday and I just started picking your brain about what Cub should be kind of recording and things. But I just think it's something that a lot of businesses don't do correctly. And so I think it might be good to actually run through how a business can start, uh, I guess, make sure – because there's one thing, analysing data, but if you, ha- if you aren't recording it correctly, well, there's nothing to analyse anyway. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the key data points businesses should be recording uh, mandatory immediately? Now, like, uh, you should already be doing it. Yeah. If you haven't done it, start, 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 start now. now. Well, look <laughs> – 
There's a few things in there. Often what we'll start with when we're getting to know uh, a, a company before we even think about what's possible is is just to, to, I guess, create a library of their data. So what systems are they using? What's being collected at the moment? Is it uh, in a clean space or is it going to need a, a lot of work? What gaps have you got? What are the sort of things that you might want to know in order to run your business better? So effectively just, yeah, kind of the, that library of, of data uh, across an organisation. And then inevitably coming out of that will be, right, well, here's our... It, these two or three areas, they're, they're working pretty well. It might be your finance system is, is fairly robust. Your CRM might be working pretty well. Uh, but your, I don't know, depending on the nature of the business, maybe your your people management or your payroll is is a, is a problem. Or if you're wanting to look at, I'm um, just thinking, thinking of an example. Are you kind of describing like a data audit? A data, you just data audit. To- your business, all the data of each department and see which one's shit, which one's good. Correct, correct. And then, and then you say, right, well, where are my weaknesses that I'm going to need to work on? But how do I get that data and these 10 different systems or, or locations into one common space so that now the people that, that need to see it and, and use it will be able to. So so often you see, particularly in large organisations that have got a lot of legacy and all the rest of it, is yeah, look, I know there's something there, but I don't know how to get into it. And uh, oh, no we one, even have that a cup. Yeah, no mm. one on my team knows how to get into it. Or we'd have to we'd have to go to you know this department over here, and they're always too busy. So look, it just it, it's in the too hard basket that we never even look at it. And that's universal. I think most businesses have an element of that. Um, so. Where is your data? Where are your weak spots and that you need to start uh, focusing on? But then how do you pull that together into a, into a space where the people who need it can actually access it? Then when you've got that, and we, we talk about a data value curve, uh, the first one is yeah, collating that data or organising that data. You've got to have something to start with. And then we say uh, if you're looking backwards at data or yeah, looking into history, which is where the data is initially created, is to say, right, well, can I... First of all, from there, explain what has happened. So how many units did I sell? Uh, how many hours did, did I work? Uh, how many dollars did I make, et cetera? So how, you know, what, what has happened? Then once you've got that covered, then you say, well, why did it happen? So now you're starting to analyze that data. Where are the insights? Uh, we had a spike in sales because, I don't know, there was a big uh, rain event or whatever and everyone wanted umbrellas and we're selling umbrellas. And some of them are intuitive and some of them are less intuitive and the data will help you to to start finding those patterns and insights. Then you start looking forward and you say, right, well, can I use the data of the past to predict what's going to happen in the future? Can I look for those common trends and and movements and data that uh, that I can now say, right, well, with some degree of confidence, I can predict what what happens next. And once you've done that, then you can say, well, what do I need to do to get to a, a better outcome? How do I, they call it prescriptive uh, analytics, where I now understand why something happened and I understand what will happen if I don't do anything differently, but I know the levers that I can pull to get to a better outcome. A good example uh, of that, we're, we're working with a big subscription TV provider, not in Australia. Well, there's plenty now, isn't there? But yeah, big pay TV provider who... We're looking to say, right, with our annual price increase, if we just go out to everyone and give them a 5% price increase, we know we'll have a bunch of customers who are going to churn. They're, they're, that's the final straw. They've already agitated that that we're that they're not happy with the service or whatever it is. If we sting them with another price increase, then we're going to lose them. And then we lose all of the revenue, not just the 5% increment. So can we help them to predict who will churn? Like churn predictions are kind of a classic data science uh, technique. And in an in a organisation like that, what you're looking for is some of those trigger behaviours that people display before they leave. And it might be that they've called customer service three times in the last two months to complain about something. Or it might be that they've been late on their payment. Uh, or it might be that they've just downgraded the subscription because for whatever reason. So any anything that might be a, a behaviour that, that predicts what will happen next. And then you say to them, right, well, there might be 15% of your client base that are in that category. And you might say, right, we either won't put through a price increase to them or if we do, we'll offer them free movies for six months or we'll, we'll extend a promotion to them, some, something along those lines. And as you get better and better at that, you almost get down to personalised pricing. Uh, and, yeah, across a, yeah, this is a group with kind of 10 million customer accounts. So it's a, it's a big data set and... 
we're not quite at the point of personalized pricing with them, but we're certainly very, very segmented pricing uh, offers uh, with them with a view that you're still trying to get your pricing increased through, but you're trying to limit the churn that goes with So that's it. a really so, – so churn prediction for clients is definitely obviously a hugely valuable data set or, or points for uh, for for any business. I mean, especially for Cup. Mm-hmm. So like a business – like let's just use me as an example. I could sit down and say, okay, well, let's focus on the data that we can obtain regarding whether or not uh, – regarding, regarding the satisfaction of our current clients and whether or not we think they're, they're going to continue. And so Cubs could be like – well, some of the data that we currently use is like um, – is this member have, has this member been engaged eight or more times uh, over the past twelve months? Is this member currently in the next? Uh, are they subscribed to the next core networking season? Has this member? Yeah, you know, and 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 looking at these different stats, mm-hmm. it's it, it, in order to so any business can really doesn't matter whether you're a marketing agency, a, a drinks manufacturer, or whatever it is, you can definitely discover. Okay, what are the what what are what data points can we look at when assessing a client's satisfaction level and then how do we use those data points to either uh, like at cub for example if someone starts getting unengaged so we notice someone oh this person's slipping their, their engagement level is not where it should be six months into membership uh, we reach out to them Hey, just checking in, seeing how you're going. Want to catch up, have a coffee, get you, get you reengaged, make sure you're back on track, and and that type of thing. So we, we're actually actively doing that uh, as a club, uh, but that's because our business depends on our renewals. So we're so you know we're, we're so focused on ensuring that people are happy so that they stay a long time. And um, whereas I think I think a lot of of businesses perhaps maybe focus too much, and Cub certainly for the very for, for the Cubs first half of its life we were focused on the sale you know we were like get grow get get more sales it's just easier to focus on the Mm -hmm. sale because it's it's instant it's like oh we can get it now though let's get that whereas in order to turn long term and to make a in my opinion anyway to make a really sustainable business it's okay it's not focusing on the sales it's actually focusing on the existing clients and to do that let's get our data points let's create data points that show us that they're happy throughout their contract or whatever the period of that you're serving them is. Um, and let's use them to make sure they're happy if we think that they're not type of thing. Yeah. And a part of that will be, you have to measure it as well. So some of this will, you'll be measuring already. You know, who signed up to a, to core sessions, you know, who signed up for um, uh, the digital conversations, you know, who's coming to social events and everything because people have had to sign up to that. Um, but, you know, what are the – and now that you've got the app, that's going to be collecting so much data, whether you're using it or not, but there'll be engagement um, stats and everything you can pull out of that. P- part of it as well will be thinking, well, why why would someone be a member of Cub and what value are they getting out of it? And how do you start to measure some of that? And a big part of it obviously is building your, your network and your community and, and everything. So how do you start to measure that? And, again, it's engagement and, and the like. Um, but it might be that you know someone joined because they really like the the clubhouses that that you've got, and now they've got access to that, and they can take their clients there, and that's really the value that they get. And it might be nice if they do you know do a core once a year or something like that. I think I think you've got to start, um, and and to an extent you'll be measuring this already, but there'll be other elements to it that you could start to measure as well. And some of this will be instinctive. You're a people business. You 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 know whether particularly yeah, across your team, you'll know whether people are becoming yeah, less engaged and all the rest of it. And, and so there'll be a part of its instinct. However, as your membership climbs and climbs, that becomes like you, at least if you had the data to back up or to provide you triggers or warnings or whatever, say, oh, look, yeah, yeah Greg hasn't been to, yeah, to, the, to the clubhouse for three months. Um, maybe just invite him along for a coffee and a chat or whatever. And, and just letting that, letting that data... Uh, get to a point where you're, yeah, it helps you to run run the business. As I said, a lot of it's instinctive. You know, you know what your business is all about. But if the data can enhance that, then um, then it makes for a big, yeah, it should should be a more effective. And it outcome. means that if you make changes, for example, like if you want to use the data to create a commercial or to create commercial value for your company, you could say, okay, well, this is currently what's happening. If we implement 
this member using Cub again, this member management system, um, is that going to improve the future? Is that going to make next year's renewals um, um, even better? Um, and and that's how I assume you create commercial value using your data. Yeah, correct. And 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 I think you're right. I mean, the you can measure sales so easily. Yes, I got another five five new members uh, in the last week. That's tick the box. But your your renewals is. I would say equally, if not more, important. Uh, yeah, they, they say the the cost of of customer acquisition is seven times more than yeah customer ret- customer retention. So, and also if you bring on a a new member and you think, well, what's the lifetime value of this member if they're going to stay for three, four, five years? Uh, then the effort involved in getting that new member is worth x x to me. If they don't renew after year two, then that 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 whole customer acquisition cost over your lifetime value, that ratio gets squeezed to the point where, I mean, all, all subscription businesses, that's a key metric that they should be looking at is that the cost of acquisition over the lifetime value. And you you, you want to make sure that ratio stays well, otherwise in the long run, uh, you're losing money. But that's, yeah, they're, they're the things that you can do. Another, not not related, but a, a good example, a real example of the value of data. We and literally came from this morning. We were interviewing someone who came out of the investment banking world, and he gave an example where in, in the US they had uh, a number of he was covering a number of transport companies, and and there's six main you know, rail providers, and each of those rail providers every week put in a number of uh, stats into a government uh, data portal, and the government agency every week collated that and let's say they put the, the data in on a Monday, by Wednesday you had this this market data set that was available to everyone to use for a whole range of reasons. And the the person that we interviewed said, well, actually I can just go and get those individual six uh, uh, pieces and put it together myself and do the analysis and I'll beat my competition by at least one, maybe two days. And so that's exactly what he did. That data, there was nothing new about the the data. It was just sitting there. He just saw the opportunity, and basically pull, pulled it together, collated into into one form that was in different forms. There was yeah Excel files and PDFs and CSV and all the rest of it. So it, it took some work, but then he created his own data set before the government data set came out and did his analysis and went out to market. And all of a sudden, they were the most read report in the market. And that's just a good example of that's pretty low-hanging fruit, but those opportunities are just there all the time, and people people value it if you if you've taken the the, the initiative to go and work out what's important and, and where the data sits, and then uh, come out and and yeah feed it back to them. So it was a it was a great example uh, as we're talking today about yeah where does where does value sit with data and how do you go looking for get for data and all the rest of it. Often it's just sitting there and, and your job is to to find that and then put it together and, and make something meaningful out and of it. And I guess how, what, how would you recommend people go about uh, – I'm sure a lot of people are going to listen to this episode and go and sit down and say, okay, well, I want to I, I want to improve the way we are uh, measuring data and using data. I guess what, what would be a, a bit of a step-by-step – uh, even if you were just fo- just to make it maybe easier, even if it was just focusing on um, customer retention or satisfaction, um, uh, ha- using to, that as an example, what what would be a good step to st- step by step uh, process uh, the listeners can 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 take to do so? Yeah. So if if we took that that example, so we'd we'd go on a bit of discovery and, and investigation to say, well, what are you capturing at the moment? So you might have a call center that is capturing uh, on each client if, if they're calling in or if they're, uh, if they're emailing or if they're using your, your bot on your, on your uh, app or whatever it is to, to communicate with a, a problem or, or whatever it is that needs to be solved. Uh, that's kind of that's your starting point. And then you'd, you'd overlay that with your customer base. So here's my, here's my customer details. They've been yeah, a client for three years. They're on this package. Uh, they've o- over the three years they've made these two or three changes to their account. Uh, now I can match that with my call center records or yeah, um, uh, wherever they're coming through. I can look to see what's happened when I've made a change in the past. Um, have people, yeah, have they stuck around? Have they changed their account subscription? Have they have they left? Uh, so it's really just saying right. Well, what what am I trying to find from this? What am I trying to achieve? And and what what are the, the data points that I'll need to to start trying to find some of those yeah, those patterns and correlations? Okay. 
I like that as a as a starting point. So it's actually let's let's start with what do I want to achieve? Well, we want to achieve um, um, an increased show rate for our sales meetings, mm-hmm. for example. Okay, that's what we want to achieve. What current data points do we have that m- measure the show rates? Mm-hmm. Well, we currently measure um, um, messages sent on LinkedIn, uh, meetings booked, um, um, invitations sent, invitations accepted, and who shows up. Um, um, okay, how do we improve that process to get the show rate from 50% to 70%? Well, maybe we want to introduce uh, a vet call beforehand or an email that shows social proof of our company before we actually meet with the person to create a little bit of excitement. And by adding that, you know, so that's by analyzing data, by adding that social proof email before the person uh, shows up, in our next quarter's report, will our show rates be X percent higher? And because you're recording it, you're then able to able to see it. So really, actually, the key is not – it doesn't start with the data. It starts with what's the purpose? Mm-hmm. What do we want to improve? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to start with what, what are you trying to achieve. And, and the important thing as well is not to jump straight into a solution. You, you, you need to – yeah, understand what what you're trying to achieve, and then what's available, what what uh, what information's out there. I mean, as you were kind of giving that example, one one thing, one technique that it's not unique to data science; it's science in general is the concept of A/B testing. So, make that change with one group, but not the other, and see does it have any impact or not. And that's a tough one for a lot of good marketing companies. Just do that. That's that's what they do. Um, but a lot will be like, oh, hang on, I've got a really good promotion. I don't want to miss out on both my markets getting that promotion because, yeah, there's, there's a lost opportunity. And we flip that around and go, well, what if you wasted that promotion that was ineffective and you're giving a discount away on both markets? Now you've doubled your loss. So upside and downside uh, are two sides of the, the, the same equation. Um, so, so things like A-B testing, you might uh, say, look, I've got, my, my market in Melbourne and Sydney are, are similar. They're similar enough that I should be able to test something in one uh, and not test it in the other and just see if it had any impact or not. So that's a good example. Yeah, do you do you put that social proof email out or do you put out a, a call on the morning just to say, hey, we're looking forward to catching up. Is today still okay? Uh, and, and, yeah, that alone will often either get someone to the, sh- to, to, to the show meeting or actually, no, today is a shocker. Uh, any chance uh, I can join the next one? And then you don't lose them. All you've done is, is you kind of uh, sort of mold, mold into their schedule. So you're, it's really what, what it kind of sounds like also is that it, it, it's really nutting down the actual process of anything, of everything. Really what you're doing is you're saying this sales process is eight steps. By adding a ninth step at, point, at this point, can we achieve a greater result by the, by the final step? That, that's kind of the game, isn't it? Yeah, I remember that going. going or did back. I just simplify what you do? No, you, you, but, but that is, back to the start of this conversation, I talked about that uh, project that when I was the client and, and, and forecast was building a model. Uh, the, the model itself, it did what it needed to and we could run all the scenarios and everything. The process of getting to the model was saying, well, well how, how does this company work? What is the process? And I remember yeah, saying to, to Neil at the time, forecast is, yes, it's a modeling business, it's a data business, but more importantly, it's a business process uh, business. It's, you, we need to see how things, what leads to the next, to the next, to the next, what are the drivers, et cetera, and how can you change those levers or those drivers to get to a better outcome. So it is very much a process uh, business. Um, yeah, that's, it's a, and, that, and that's a good example as well as if you were to insert a piece into the process or take something away, what's the impact? Um, you just need to be able to measure the impact and that's where this notion of um, sort of A-B testing uh, comes in, which is, not, as I said, it's not, not um, unique to data science. It's, it's just a, it's a good way of really testing the impact. So I wanted to ask you a few questions. The first was um, what are your plans with forecast here in Australia? What are your ambitions and what, what are the next steps for the business? Yeah, so I feel, first of all, we're in a good space. We're, we're in a, an industry that is growing. It's a, it's a new, relatively new profession and uh, 
businesses and and yeah, all, all organizations are at different sort of positions on on their journey on their data journey so i feel like there's a there's a huge potential here and and the skills that we have within our team are in demand and that that goes back to the the point we're talking around attracting and retaining talent everyone wants these skills so we're in a good space i think we've developed a really good reputation with the clients that we've had on on delivery and so that reputation just builds builds on itself where do we want to go? Obviously, yeah, continuing to grow the team, growing the portfolio of, of clients and projects that we're doing, doing more and more sophisticated projects uh, is is a part of that as well. Uh, and so an element of that is, yeah, building awareness. Uh, we, we've we got confidence in our project process and in our delivery, but outside of our, yeah, a fairly small uh, hand, uh, sort of handful of, of people or network, no one knows who Forecast is. Well, this um, podcast is going to make a big difference. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, first thing forecast is not as weather forecasters, which is where where most people, well, yeah, most most people uh, immediately jump to the fact, ah, oh, that's something to do with the weather. But um, but, uh, well, but it kind of is. It's a, you know, we're, we're, the same concept. We're, yeah, yeah. We're, 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 we're forecasters of your um, of of your performance over the. It's kind of like telling the weather. Same 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 yeah. concepts. A lot of data science uh, came out of weather forecast. A lot of it come out of medical and and weather. Um, uh, so it's looking for patterns of the past and using that to predict what's going to happen in the future. Something that I thought was really cool that you guys do, and I noticed you wrote it a few times in the prep sheet, was you actually look for, it, you, I, I don't know how you put it, but it was like cool projects, like things that you enjoy working on, clients that you find really interesting and kind of makes the job really fun. I think that's something that a lot of businesses, I mean, of course, you always need to uh, achieve your revenue targets and and whatnot, but when you are in the position to to really, when you find a client you really want to work with, maybe sometimes it is also. I, I don't know if you guys do this, but but it would be worth, you know, maybe if that client wanted a discount or whatever. I don't know what it was, but but you know, just to get that client have have something great, exciting for the team to sink their teeth into. Not all businesses are that special business, but there, so this there, there are some. Um, I just think that's something a lot of businesses could 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 do more of. Is not I don't want to say be selective because a lot of people say, "Oh, we choose our clients and blah blah blah," and that, that's great, dude. But but um, most businesses need to produce revenue, and and therefore, if there is a good client that they can have the correct impact, they're going to take them. But that doesn't mean you can push harder for the clients that you really want that are you know that are that are uh, that are interesting. And and um, I just thought that was a really cool thing. That uh, that you wrote, yeah. I think what I've got to be careful with is is if I assemble a, a talent talent pool that are wanting to be enjoying the work, doing some cutting edge uh, yeah, analytics work, data work, data work that they're in, and then I don't deliver really interesting projects, then then they'll vote with their feet. It's there's that matchmaking between uh, having the right people in the team to be able to deliver some some amazing work and then yeah having having the, the projects coming in to do it and i think naturally what happens is that where there is a really interesting project yeah kind of everyone lives and breathes it and yeah instead yeah uh, conversation this morning with one of our cloud engineers and he goes oh i was just thinking in the shower on saturday about a way to solve that problem and you don't think in the shower on Saturday unless you love what you do. You'd be thinking about sport, or you'd be thinking about yeah, you know, what your kids are going to do, or whatever. But they're the they're the things where you yeah, you wake up in the middle of the night and you've solved a problem. You're only doing that because you're fully engaged in what you do. So I think that notion of finding interesting work, whether whether I don't know whether it's a different and and difference in fees that we have or whatever it is, but you certainly you get that full engagement from the team if if they're yeah if they're loving the the project and and the job and that's yeah to to me that's that, that's really what we're we're trying yeah, to achieve. I think it's a cool notion. Just uh, having great clients, it actually is a great thing for your team. Like it, it, it makes their job more enjoyable. And are you a reader? I am a reader. You just read data papers. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm 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 definitely a reader. I've usually got yeah three or four books on the go. I'm not that good at finishing books. I've got to say, um, I'm very good at starting books. So, I think at any one time there's probably five or six books that are part read uh, that I'll pick up. So yeah. I do that a lot. <laughs> Would you have a do you have a uh, book recommendation that you one that you actually finished? <laughs> there's one that I just finished again, which so shows uh, actually it says a lot about this book. So there's a book called Sh- Shoe Dog, uh, which 
a guy, Phil Knight, who who um, founded Nike and I picked it up years ago and, and loved it and I've bought that book for a few different people uh, who I felt you know, would enjoy the story uh, and I just read it again the other day partly because – so premise of the book, he, he you know, founded – what is now Nike, but he did it. It was a it was a hard slog. He started off being, yeah, a, an agent for what is now Asics, and then got shafted by them, and then yeah, had to do it himself and, and fund it and all the rest. So shows even successful businesses, yeah, it's a it's a hard slog sometimes. Yeah, when we were, I guess, coming out of COVID, and uh, we're having yeah, trying to to hire staff, and we we're wondering this, that, and the next thing. And I said to Neil, I've just reread Shoe Dog. Everything's going to be fine, but it's not going to be easy. But yeah, you're you've just you've just got to yeah push on and persevere. I think there's a lot of lot of good stories in there. Yeah, that I, what I got from that book was fuck. That guy worked real hard to get Nike where it was. Like the amount of time, the amount of problems he had, just how hard it sounded. You know, it, it wasn't easy, and it just it. I actually felt like the book dragged on a little bit with terms of him just failing for so long. Like <laughs> yeah. I really thought far out. I, I don't know if I would have lasted that long, but it, it delivered that. I also got that from one of the first Elon Musk books mm-hmm. when he was talking about SpaceX and how many times the bloody spaceships blew up, like the rockets blew up. I was like, man, I can't believe this guy kept going. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a good reminder. It's also one of the benefits of being part of Carbon, the communities, the relatability in terms of other people's journeys you know, sometimes, you know, in business you're like, shit, do I suck or, you know, I'm obviously not doing something right. But then you speak to someone else from the club and they're like, oh, my God, this is what's going on at the moment. You're like, okay, I'm sweet. <laughs> that guy's way worse than me. <laughs> I'm actually doing well now. <laughs> but but having that books give that relatability and, and I guess relationships uh, give the same thing. Uh, we do have to wrap up. Uh, Greg, I want to say thank you, of course, for being a member of our community. We're a much stronger community with you in it. But thank you for your time today. And I'm probably going to have to sit down with you and maybe bring Alice along and have a look at Cubs data, see what we can see, what we can improve. I, I mean, I think a company like ours, um, uh, data is exceptionally important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it might be good getting your opinion if I can steal that for a bit. Absolutely. Um, uh, all right. And to our amazing listeners, um, if you want to find out more about Mr. Greg Norman or forecast or reach out, whatever you want, uh, go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you can find it all there. If you want to catch up with Cub on social media, it's at Club of United Business on Instagram. The Instagram is popping at the moment. Uh, it's definitely worth having a look at. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for today. I can't tell you how grateful we all are and I'm sure the listeners loved it. If you're looking to get forecast out there more too, this is definitely a great start. Thanks, Daniel. Been yeah, great. It's always good to chat, and uh, yeah, this is a great forum. So appreciate it, and and loving the cup community. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll be one of those renewers. Well, yeah. <laughs> we know we you know we love you too. Uh, thank you. Hope you enjoyed the show.